0: You are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, where your host is Dr. Janine James, Brother Quojo Robinson, Brother Kwasi Craft, and Sister D. D. Contne. The program is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank, and it airs on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Email them. At Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. And I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. All of their programs are archived. Just go to the website, www.timeforanawakening.com, use the search portal, and put in the keyword elders.
1: pour we'll pour Ashe. 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 we'll pour to Ashe. the creative spirit the great Ashe, out of which we all emerge Ashe. 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 we pour to that creative spirit by whatever name we know it whatever name you hold in your heart in your mind whatever name your ancestors gave whatever name you learned as a child whatever name you believe it to be whatever name you believe it to be in spirit or in science Ashe. I we pointed I the first human beings who came into existence on this planet, the first human beings who raised the first structures, who cooked the first meals, who taught the first children, who had the first children, the first Africans, the first people, who stood upright, who walked, who figured out how to stay on this planet, who figured out how to pass that knowledge on to their children and their children's children, the mothers and fathers of civilization. I say, I say. we poured the next libation to their grandchildren, their children's children, those who raised the great early civilizations of Kemet and Kush and Monomachapa, the great medieval civilizations of Ghana and Mali and Songhai and Bornu. We pour to those who great, the great civilizations of the Igbo people and the Hausa people and the Kikongo people and the Mabara people, the great Mande civilizations, the great Kikongo, the great civilizations of Southern Africa, the Bantu people, the great civilizations of Southeast Africa, the Dinka, the Shilluk, the Noor. We pour to those millions who raised the foundations from which the world would learn what it meant to be human in the world, I say. We pour to their children, who were upon the arrival on the shores of people they had never seen before, found themselves captured and marched overland. found themselves perishing by the millions before they were held on the holding cells and the open air pens on the coast of West, Central, Southern, and East Africa. We pour to the ancestors who did not know, as they were stripped of all clothing and sent denuded into boats, packed like animals and strewn their bones across the floor of the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. We pour to them who who in the last moment on Africa grabbed the sand and grabbed the dirt and put it in their mouths and understood that the only thing they might have to preserve their place in that continent was their memory of that place and their ability to pass it on to their children. We pour to them. I shake. We pour to those Africans and their children who finding themselves cast adrift in santiago cuba who found themselves cast adrift in put spain trinidad and portia prince haiti who found themselves cast adrift in new orleans and charleston and mobile who found themselves cast adrift in salvador bahia who found themselves cast adrift in barbados and the archipelago that formed the wayward and and the windward coast we found them In these places, learning Portuguese and Spanish and French, whose often first words was, oh my God, oh Madre de Dios, who found themselves praying to survive and pass on to their children the memories, we pour to those ancestors who are represented in the thousands buried in all the square miles of where we stand, and who sit here, buried before us in 400 caskets forged of wood from West Africa with the Dinkra symbols. Each one of them, each woman, man, and child, symbolic of millions. The children of those who could not be killed, we pour our shame. We pour to their children who somehow survived the hells of enslavement and fought for emancipation in the Caribbean, the French, British, Dutch Caribbean, who fought for emancipation in South America, who fought for emancipation in Central America, who fought the struggles we refer to as the Civil War in the United States, who came out of that, marched out of enslavement through Reconstruction and found themselves making great migrations, eventually ending up in places like New York. Their children's children who, making a way for themselves, became our great-great-grandparents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our parents, those who, when the first bones were discovered in this space, held their hands and said, stop, no more. We are here to speak for those who can no longer speak with their mouths. We pour for those ancestors, some of whom came to Howard University in 2004 and followed these caskets all the way back to New York. We pray to the great ancestors, the ones whose names we know and the ones whose names we don't. And at this moment, as we pour this libation, I would ask anyone who feels comfortable to say the name of someone in your bloodline who is no longer physically here, but who you know made it possible for you to be here. Go ahead, let's hear the names. Hey, Will Carr, Porter Griffin, Jr. Evelyn Glover. We pour to the names that we hold collectively. Ganga Zumba in Brazil, Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, and Henri Christophe in Haiti. We pour to the great Avengers, Nanny of the Maroons of Jamaica. We pour to the great ancestors, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. Say the names that you study. Who are the names of the ancestors that you have come to hold in your heart and your mind as you hope that you can do what they did for us, for your children and children's children? Let's say some of those famous names. McHenry, John Henry Clark, John Jacob Carruthers. And finally, two final libations. We pour to those who make it possible for us to do what we do. We pour to these rangers who stand guardian over this sacred space. We pour... To these Africans and these folks who have come from Howard University, the staff, the faculty, the administrators who brought us here today to bear witness, this is not a libation but an affirmation because their hearts still beat, their tongues still speak, their minds still think and their minds still wish the best for us. We pour for all of those people who surrounded us on this journey today and made it possible for us to be here. We pour this affirmation of thanks, Ache. Ache. And finally we pour to your children's children's children who will one day stand on this spate and speak your name. History is a clock that
2: people use to tell their political and cultural time of day.
3: It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography.
2: History tells a people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go and what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a
4: mother to her child. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079 finley medical clinic is accepting new patients vaccines and screenings for uninsured underinsured and insured located at 10721 west capitol drive suite 110 call our office for an appointment today at 414
0: are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee where your host is Dr. Janine James Brother Quojo Robinson Brother Kwasi Craft and Sister D.B. D. Conley. The program is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank and it airs on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Email them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. And I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. All of their programs are archived. Just go to the website, www.timeforanawakening.com, use the search portal, and put in the keyword elders.
5: Welcome, this is Dr. Janine James and we are here today, the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee and this is such a great opportunity to be here with you today because we have with us two phenomenal guests that are going to talk with us about a question that the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee has been discussing. A couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about this subject and and we discovered we've got more that we need to address on the issue of gun violence and reckless driving in America. And we're curious often about solutions What are some of the solutions? And we had a solution that was presented from Baba Tyrone Dumas of Milwaukee. And we wanted him and we have invited him to share with us what his perspective is about solutions to gun violence and reckless driving in america and we are so pleased that we have another guest also baba jamil rashid and i'll be introducing him as well shortly because he has been paying attention like tyrone to what's been going on and he's got some thoughts he'd like to share with us as well as well But before we get into that, we'd like to move into more of our program. The um, music that we started out, For the Love of Money, has some relevance, certainly, as it will be discussed further in today's discussion, as does all the music that we select. We try to pick out something that characterizes our subject matter. So I want you to think about that music as we get into our discussion. But Mama Asarta, uh, if you could share with our listeners the purpose of Sankofa Council.
6: Yes, thank you. Good evening, um, Dr. Jane and our listening audience. Um, The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, uh, from the from the uh, bylaws is an ever evolving community that's dedicated to to cultivating Sankofa, which is the reclaiming of our African memory, our African governance, and our African spirituality in order to provide a healing and empowerment environment for our people of African descent and globally. We do that through an immersion of exploration and study and practice, and we amplify the principles of Nguro Saba which provides moral and unifying values as the foundation for constant movement towards restoring our people and our traditional greatness. We study and ex- exemplify the ancient laws of Ma'at that allowed our ancestors to flourish, to survive and to pass on a legacy of greatness and to interact harmoniously with the world by honoring the universal constant consciousness of all creation we contribute our skills that we've acquired as we seek ways to share with our descendants the principles that have historically been our strength and that has sustained us through captivity through colonization, and accuration. We are dedicated and committed to this for as long as it takes to fulfill that purpose. Thank you.
5: Thank you so much, Mama Sarta. And as is customary, we'd like to share with our listeners an ancestral profile. And Mother Sarta has that Information for us
6: as well. Yes, yeah. and our ancestor profile this evening is Whitney Young Jr., who was an American civil rights activist, who, uh, as the head of the National Urban League, helped secure social economic freedom for many Blacks in the United States. Whitney Moore Ju- uh, Young Jr was born in Kentucky on July 31st, 1921. He was the second born with two sisters born to Whitney Young Sr. and his wife, Laura. Young grew up in an intellectual household. His father served as the principal of Lincoln Institute while his mother was a school teacher. In 1937, he went to Lincoln Institute for his preparatory education. After his graduation, he joined Kentucky State Industrial College. He graduated with a bachelor's of science degree in June of 1941 with the hope of pursuing a career in human medicine. He taught for one year and joined the U.S. military in 1942. He served in the anti-aircraft unit and got promoted to the rank of sergeant in his third month in the army. As a sergeant in a deeply segregated army, he often served as the mediator between the white officers and the black soldiers during disputes and other occurrences in the line of duty. Young left the army after the liberation of Europe from the Nazis. In 1947, he graduated from the University of Minnesota with a master's degree in social work. Later in the year he joined the Civil Rights League National Urban League in Minnesota. He used his mediation experience gained from the army to convince white-owned companies to employ black workers. Hundreds of black workers got employed through his efforts in the Urban League offices. In 1950 Young got promoted and relocated to the urban league offices in Omaha, Nebraska. As the head of the organization in Nebraska, he gained the placement of black workers in skilled and semi-skilled jobs in white companies. Young created interracial, created an interracial club in Omaha to foster relations between white owners and their workers. Young transformed Omaha into a racially tolerant city. White schools employed Black teachers, and Blacks were allowed to reside in white neighborhoods. In 1954, Young went to Atlanta University as the head of the School of Social Work. He reestablished the faculty to his former glory. Young explored the intake, expanded, I'm sorry, expanded the intake of the students and empowered lecturers through advanced learning. Despite the milestones at the university, Young left the South in 1959 and went to Harvard University. After studying at Harvard University, Young became executive director of the National Urban League And at the time, the league was largely in northern-based social welfare agency, concerned mainly with helping black immigrants from the south find jobs and adjust to their new northern industrial urban environment. He organized meetings with white philanthropists, who in turn agreed to finance the activities of the organization. Some of the white organizations included Rockefeller Foundation, IBM and RCA he reorganized the administrative structure replacing most of the old guards with young vibrant faces he embarked on expanding the uh, regional branches across the country young introduced economic empowerment programs like the employment database the database served as pools of names and credentials for black youth seeking employment. Other programs included secretarial training programs, training contracts from the government labor department, and internship for vocational training. In maintaining its roots as a civil rights organization, Young convinced the leadership of the Urban League to join the increasing protest marches against racial atrocities. He overcame the initial objections and led the league to participate in protests, including the 1963 march on Washington. He suggested that preferential treatment be given to Black Americans in jobs, educational facilities, and housing. He reasoned that it was not enough for the united states to merely erase barriers of inequality rather in order to overcome centuries of deliberately depriving black people it was necessary to begin to begin a deliberate positive program of uplift he called for a domestic plan an all-out crash program to eliminate poverty and deprivation in the same manner that the Marshall Plan that had been launched to rehabilitate war-torn Europe after World War II. Young saw his role as one of trying to maintain contact and liaison between increasingly polarizing white and Black groups in American society. He admonished black civil rights protesters against violence, and at the same time, warned white decision makers that unless substantial gains were made, violence from blacks could be expected if not condoned. Under Young's leadership, the National Urban League received grants from the government and private sources to work on such programs as job training, open housing, minority executive recruitment and street academies that were schools in the ghetto community for the students who had dropped out of regular school. Young's position as the president of the Urban League exposed him to meetings in the U.S. government with U.S. government officials. He had several meetings with the then U.S. President John Kennedy. He maintained a closer working relationship with the president, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. In his role as the presidential advisor on interracial matters, Young advocated his Black Empowerment Plan, this, uh, the Domestic Marshall Plan, projected the sim- systematic advancement of the Black community through equal education and employment opportunities. He chaired presidential appointed committees during the administration of the three presidents. Young got financing from the US government for his organization. He developed the trust program to help empower the inner cities during the late 1960s. Young was married uh, to Margaret Buckner on January the 2nd in 1944. He wrote several books including To Be Equal in 1964, and Beyond Racism, Building an Open Society in 1969. Whitney Young Jr. died in Lagos, Nigeria, on March 11th in 1971. He drowned while in a swimming pool. The official autopsy report indicated brain damage as the cause of his death. He was 49 years old. He never attained the celebrity of his contemporaries, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X., and Stokely Carmichael, yet he remains one of the most respected and influential unsung heroes of the Civil Rights Movement during the 1960s. Whitney Moore Young Joy, well done. May he rest in peace.
5: Hashem. Hashem. Thank you so much, Mother Sarta. That was uh, some fabulous information. And we've got some men like that here with us today who have paid attention, who have been involved, and they have some thoughts. I have an extensive resume, bio, for both of these gentlemen, but we'd be here for most of the evening to know about all of those things that they have done. But I want to go to, to um, Baba Tyrone. You're here with us today, and we're so happy that you've joined us. You've been thinking. You've been thinking about this violence. You've been thinking about the killing that's not only in Milwaukee, we're finding it all over our country. And you came up with one man solution to this, but we want to hear from you what you think is going on and what you think needs to be done.
7: Well,
8: I appreciate it, Dr. James, and to all your guests and to Dr. Rogers and the, the group. I'm just blessed that I could uh Speak to these things.
3: Thank you. Well,
5: Tyrone, what what you got to tell us? We want to hear.
3: Oh, well, what I talked
8: about in mine was that we just need to think out of the box and start thinking in ways that allow us. I, I sometimes think in ways as if I was uh, the tribal head and I was sitting over in a village and in the motherland thinking about, if I got to bring my folks under control and you know, I have to operate in the democracy that I tried to form, but there's got to be consequences for those who don't conform to what we would like to do in advance in our, our our group or our town or our family. And I just thought that in America, we have we have a, a kind of a, it's kind of a talking out the side of your neck, you know, we're free. We can do all these things, but because of freedom, uh, you freedom is not free. And so, therefore, what will you do when you have those aspects of evil, I call it, of those folks who don't want to toe the line, what do you do? Well, we know what's happened to us for most of our time in America. You just put them in prison. So you fill up the prison. And then we came up with programs to get rid of the – I mean, the, the – dilute the number of people in prison and so but i think what i see is that we have a situation almost every group that ever that was ever conquered by the west the native americans uh, africans other uh the island of hawaii any of those you conquer first you bring alcohol you bring guns uh you show this disruption like in South Africa, they divided folks into nine different tribes, and then they set, the, set in, in part things to set those tribes against each other until they were enlightened uh, by people who said, wait a minute, what's going on here? So we have the same thing going now, guns, uh, drugs, uh, uh, hate, alcohol. And over, I think with the expert, at the um, enlightenment of what happened over the last two years, you know that the gun sales and liquor sales were through the roof the last two years. They broke every record you could think of in terms of what during the pandemic, what was sold. And so now you had multiple kinds of crimes where people literally were killing their whole families in the house, locked in. You had this whole thing of driving, which just started to get even worse as more people, more young people, but more people who play like a uh, uh, Fortnite and uh, um, the, uh, 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 the, the the games that deal with driving. Well, we call it reckless driving, they call it. Uh, uh, I always forget that name. I'm sorry. Uh, they call it uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto or you think about some of the manufacturers and what they did. So we got a, ma- in Milwaukee, we got a massive amount of Kia's and Hyundai's stole. But you ever notice, they never talk about the manufacturer. What did you do in the manufacturer of your car that over the last few years made your car so susceptible to being stolen, and there's multiple models in the marketplace? So what about your car? What did you do? So you got that. And so you, you think about all of these things that have kind of come together as one, and you say, is this, a, is this an accident? Or, is, or have we become a new experiment? And I'll say this, a so new experiment. Because if you think about Tuskegee, you think about all of these video games, the hate. You think about even in Martin Luther King's last march in Memphis when the FBI paid those black informants to start the riot in the back of March. Uh, You think about some of those things and you go, is this accidental or is this a grand plan, Uh, not only to fill up the prisons again, but to almost wipe out a a part of a civilization, a part of a culture that people seem to be threatened by uh, because of the success we've had even over the last 200 years, just the success. And so I just think it's, this is not an accident. So I came up with solutions to try to, what about a martial law curfew? Now, I don't, you don't have to use, I just used the word that I understood. But somehow, how would you, what would you do to say, we're not going to allow uh, children to be in the streets after 11, between 11 and six in the morning, people going to church and to work and all that. That's one thing. It was, suppose you, Um, decided that we're going to have security stop points just to see uh, cars, you don't have license plates, you don't have uh, have a driver's license, Do you have to see whether you're carrying drugs and and illegal guns and that. Now, of course, that's profiling. But we're saying that we've asked for so much and people say, well, you free, then we ain't going to do all that no more. And look what happened. Uh, People decided, well, they ain't doing that no more. Look what we can do. And now you've got people, elderly, seniors, children, and all kinds of people in the community whose lives are in danger on a daily basis just from driving. That We've had a number of people killed over the last five years uh, from people who are recklessly driving. I have four of my grandchildren injured uh, in 2019. One, the three girls were in the car, somebody ran a stoplight and hit them, and they ended up going to the hospital. And my grandson was hit by somebody who, were, he was coming from work on second shift, was hit by somebody who was coming from, uh, who ran a stop sign and hit them. And in most cases, the people took off. And so you, so when you start getting affected by it personally, and you ask yourself, what can we do? Are there politicians willing to say to liquor stores and gun stores, you can't be open 9 or 10 at night. You can't. In certain, you just can't put that kind of poison into the community. Almost some cases, some like the one that do it 24 hours a day. Uh, What are we going to do about children 14, 13, 14, 15 out one, two, three in the morning? Uh, That's impossible. So if you if your household is not going to decide to put a checkpoint on you, what will you do to put a checkpoint on? We got people driving around with no license on the car, no plates on the car no registration, and they're running red lights uh, here in Milwaukee. People run red lights in the middle of the day. They just stop and run them, and it's without anything, I guess not any contemplation of what consequence. If they did, Just like catch me if you can kind of contemplation. And I just think that some things have have moved to a level that that either we, how do we do this and not be called vigilantes, because I don't think the system cares until it breaches the boundaries of different neighborhoods and different parts of the city. And I know we got violence interrupters. We got 414 groups. We got all kinds of groups who are out there working on the front line. But what do we demand of those people who, who are in charge of government that write the laws and those that are supposedly to enforce the laws? We have to, we have to want something from them because if we go out there, um, it's just more carnage. So I, so I just, was throwing up against the wall like a brainstorm. I, I majored in architecture in college, so my mind is always thinking in 3D and 4D, and I'm thinking in ways of things that, like, I and I play chess. So I'm thinking far out. I'm looking at all kinds of moves and possibilities. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, we up against people who are playing chess and they, they play to us like we playing checkers. Well, we are playing chess. And so what are all the multiple options and moves that we have to make to try to have our community come under some kind of, that we say our community has to come under. Cause I don't always trust the broader system to protect us because I think part of the problem is the broader system is like going like, well, it's them. Well, let them go ahead. I mean, we had a number of crimes committed in this community of people who were let go for $500 or let go with no, with no when they did something seriously to somebody. But they said, we don't have enough room in the jail. So they put them right back out in the community. And guess what? You know what they did? They kept going. They kept committing crimes until somewhere down the time they killed a bunch of people or killed somebody. And then everybody says, why weren't they locked up? Well, you let them out. <laughs> but you won't. But, but once you let them out, how are we supposed to uh, make sure that they stay on the right track? So I just think we have to look at this a whole different way, and we have to look at it as though we're in control of the community and what consequences and what um, outcomes do we want for our community rather than I keep waiting for somebody else to come in and say, oh, we'll help you fix that problem. Now, I think you're part of the problem.
5: Brother Tyrone, I am so happy that you have shared exactly what's on your mind, and we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But we also have with us Dr. Jamal Allen Rashid, and uh, Dr. Uh, um, Dr. Jamal Rashid, is uh, from Chicago. In fact, grew up in the same community that I grew up in Chicago, and he has been also very involved in what's going on in terms of the youth, and uh, has been in a number of professional settings. And uh, the, Dr. Rashid, you've heard uh, the 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 uh, plan that. Uh, Brother uh, Tyrone Dumas has presented to us, and I wish you would at this time. We welcome you. We're so happy that you're here. And tell us what your thoughts are on this subject.
7: Fantastic. First of all, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be with you guys. I jumped at the opportunity because whenever we can educate and put put a little bit more uh, energy into that knowledge, and that knowledge turns into power and the power that we control. And it takes us closer and closer to us coming up with the solutions to some of the social problems that currently address our community. So where I am is in terms of, I was asked basically to discuss the solution to gun violence. And so everything I'm gonna talk about today is where I see it as a solution. First of all, Uh, being a former correctional officer with the Texas Department of Corrections, being a juvenile probation officer, and being an adult probation officer. I've had a chance to see it all from a circle, and I always tell people, because I live in Texas, the caveat is, and growing up on the south side of Chicago. (laughs) So, um, we're all aware of the results of any type of violence in our community itself. I don't feel like uh, creating more laws and restraints and controls. When you create more, the more laws you create, the more, the more things we become uh, not aware of, and we break those laws, and those laws end up being the things that cause us to double the population in the prisons and in the juvenile facilities. I think that we must come back to controlling our communities, our families, which lent into the community, which led into that positive village. The results are never positive, particularly in the African American community as it relates to any type of violence. As we are here to focus on solutions, I like to begin by saying Uh, All of those things that, um, uh, what's Brother Thomas?
8: Brother uh, Dumas.
9: Brother Dumas
7: mentioned are all things that we can control within our families and within our village without um, uh, creating laws, and it goes back to uh, the family. I'm also an educator. Uh, I teach middle school and I'm watching K through eight and all the dynamics that they have inside of those institutions. And it turns out, you know, folks say, well, why do they act like this? Most of the solution that I have, it starts from the root. In every revolution, there are casualties. At this point, in this revolution to to deal with gun violence in our society, the casualties are those people who have already uh, gotten out of the box in those generations that we miss. The formative years, as they used to say about Wonder Bread, ages one through 12, are when we need to be focusing on and molding the minds of our young people as we would have them focus on solutions, I would begin by saying one, limiting exposure to things that relate to guns and violence. I was watching a program, and if some of you may notice, in England, the police do not carry guns. I was watching a program out of England, it was CSI London, CSI London. And none of the crimes that were committed on CSI London involved shooting anybody. Mm-hmm. Our society has, has inundated our children and our people with the results being shoot somebody. Yes. In 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 England, and I, I said I looked at this very carefully. I'm like, this is the same CSI in America. But the CSI in America is killing and shooting people. The CSI over there is handling the crime situation and you don't see guns all over the place. So, limit exposure, particularly among our young and beginning at infancy, when their mind is at the developmental phase, okay? And so a one-year-old, and I've seen this, with a teething ring that's shaped like a gun teething with a instrument that's shaped like a gun. What is that beginning to do? Okay. The toy begins as an object as soon as it can to be called fun for a while, which results turn into and a way to a way to express aggression and violent thoughts. Where does that come from? Inside of the homes of our youth. Inside of the homes. When the parents, and I'm I'm going to continue to take it back into the house, Mm -hmm. when the parents allow the kids to have early observation and play with these things, they want more power. The toy begins as an object a as as fun, okay? And then when aggression takes place, they want to increase that aggression by using what started out as a teething ring, and then it, then it turns into a water gun, then it turns into a cap gun, and then all of a sudden the kid's like, more, more, more. This cap gun isn't making him die like I see on TV. This water gun is not helping to solve the problem of me wanting to get rid of this person like we see on TV. Take the toys off the shelf in the stores, and what we need to do is I I did a study, and I looked back and I said, where's all this stuff coming from? Mm -hmm. We are allowing China, Japan, and Mattel Toy Company poison the minds of our youth by selling pop guns and everything else. China and Japan are the largest toy producers of guns in the world. And they ship them right over here to our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. The solution that our groups need to go into the stores in a nonviolent fashion, i say I'm a Kingian scholar as well. I studied my master's under Coretta Scott King And so, in this process of nonviolence, to take, to to put your groups together and go in every toy store in your neighborhood and put those toy guns, I don't care what kind of toy guns they are, in a basket and roll them all up to the front of the store and leave them, that sends a message. We don't want any kind of gun in our neighborhood. And start by planting the seed, We have to get rid of the weed. And the weed is being put into our children very, very early. When I said the weed, it's that teething ring, that water gun, that pop gun, then the water gun gets larger and larger and we see them on TV. And it makes that kid want a bigger teething ring, or a larger pop gun, or a larger water gun with more power on it. So, growing up in Chicago in the early 60s, when we did not, we saw those things, but we couldn't get hold to them, I can remember making zip guns. Somebody might remember zip guns. Because we couldn't get the real thing. But that was in itself a way to say we need to have one to make us more powerful to get rid of our aggression and our enemy. Rid the streets of toy guns, which caused the desire to want the real thing with more power, more powerful, and more damaging. Started the root, destroyed the root, And you won't have weeds coming up all over your community and your neighborhood. If you till the soil and you get rid of the weeds, they won't spread and you'll have a perfect lawn or close to a perfect lawn. Now, I'll pause at that to give you an opportunity to think through what I said, because uh, uh, the root also develops behavior. It is the behavior that feeds the violence. That's why you always hear people say it's not the gun, it's the person. Yeah. Television, video games, all of those things are the weed that we must destroy. And we can do this without legislation. It's
1: called yep. taking
7: to the streets, going to your Toys R Us, or the little Ching Chang guy down the street, or the Five and Dad. And everything that you see in there—knives, guns, plastic guns, and everything—put them all in a basket and roll them up to the front door and walk out. That begins to be our way of saying we don't, no more violence. We need to stop it at the beginning.
8: Yes, yeah. that's yeah. how
7: we can do this nonviolently and begin to send a message.
9: Yep. Yeah.
7: We don't want your toy guns over here no more. We don't want your toy, your knives over here no more. And all these weapons of violence that you sent over here as a toy. And non-violent family games. Okay? We shouldn't be sitting up in the house playing with our kids Fortnite, just like you mentioned earlier, and all those other things that show aggression. Whatever happened to Monopoly and the game of life, (laughs) things that allowed us to sit in the room with our children and and have intelligent conversations. And I'm seeing parents sitting up playing those same violent games with their kids. Shoot, kill, die. We've got to go back into the household. The need for more family time is another solution. More parental guidance. Hours spent with your youth are now minimal, average four to six hours per day, not including the weekends, given this corrupt society in its current state an opportunity to determine the fate of your children. Mm -hmm. I believe that children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Okay, that that, that song lyric. So, yeah. well, who's doing the teaching?
5: The streets, society, yeah. television, games. Let Dr. Rashid, I, I am loving what I'm hearing from both of you gentlemen, but we need to go to an um, announcement our uh, of our sponsor and then our top of the hour, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Thank Fantastic. you. Thank you. So Mother Asarta?
6: Yes, our sponsor, EDoc Advice, is a website created to provide a place to get answers to your health or medical concerns. Are you wanting more options than you feel you're getting? Let them help you problem solve. Go to their website and ask your questions their experienced professionals will help you obtain the help you need that makes sense to you that's at www.edocadvice.com e.advice they do not replace your health professional or provide your care but they can help you to become a better health consumer so that you can get the best information to make a truly informed decision. They network with other professionals throughout the country and bring that information to you. That's EDOC advice, connect with them. Thank you.
5: Thank you so much, uh, Mother Asarta. We are enjoying our conversation today with, Brother Tyrone Dumas of Milwaukee and Dr. Jamal Rashid of Chicago. I tell you, we are hearing some very profound information here. I spoke with my son today, who is a new teacher in grammar school. And they had the graduation today of the eighth graders And I asked him, how was the graduation? He said it was a beautiful ceremony. He enjoyed it until a fight broke out at the end of the graduation. (laughs) And these were some students that had had some conflict uh, earlier in the week, and they decided that they were going to finish this at the graduation. And to my surprise, my son says, the parents... We're supporting yeah. the fight and yeah. supporting the, <laughs> the fight at the graduation. So we've got a problem that goes not just with our children, but we've got a problem with our parents.
4: Exactly.
5: And exactly. we are going to have to acknowledge and recognize that there's some problems that are going on with uh, many parents who either were uh, young children themselves when they were having children, or we have moved into an acceptance of behavior that is just inappropriate. And I would agree that laws will not address that. But we have to fix this In our own communities, um, that there have to be, there are some rules that go along with living within the community, and we have just abandoned those rules. But we're going to go to our top of the hour and come back to that. And thank you for being here with us for this discussion.
7: Yes, ma'am. You're welcome.
9: Powerful. <laughs>
10: I'm sorry, son, but all your mind is gone. Pain for rip in my upper heel. I guess it's time to take another trip. So
4: Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414- 988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414
0: you are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, where your host is Dr. Janine James, Brother Quojo Robinson, Brother Kwasi Kraft, and Sister D.D. Conley. The program is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Team. And it airs on the Time for an Awakening Radio platform. Email them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail dot com. And I repeat. Sankofa Council, M-K-E, at gmail.com. All of their programs are archived. Just go to the website, www.timeforanawakening.com, use the search portal, and put in the keyword, elders.
5: Welcome back. We are happy to have you here with us today. And do we have with us um, Sister Afua?
11: I'm here. Good evening. Greetings, everyone. Sister Afua, did you
5: want to share with us and with our listeners what it is that, that the Sankofa Council is about and some things that we've been talking about?
11: Well, um, would you like to learn first, if I may, would you like to learn more about Tampa for Council of Milwaukee and the elders? Learn why we sponsor this program, understand our purpose. We welcome you to participate. Please send us an email to Sankofa Council M-K-E, at gmail.com, with your contact information and interest. We um, are honored to have two guests, um, Brother Tyrone Dumas and Brother Jam- Jamil. Am I saying it? It's Jamal, correct, Brother?
7: It's Jamal. <laughs> yes,
11: okay. Brother Jamal, who have um, shared, um, started a discussion on um, solutions as to what's going on in our community in regards to violence. Um, We also have been talking about the um, driving um, issues, matters that have happened in Milwaukee. Um, and some of the cause and effects of uh, these events that are happening in our community thus far. Um, we welcome our listeners to um, join us. Um, please, if you would like to join this conversation, um, call us at area code. 215-490-9832. And I give it back to you, Dr.
5: Jane. Thank you so much, Sister Afua, uh, for uh, welcoming our guests again and for inviting our listeners to join us. We also have uh, with us today another member of the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee. Brother Quasi, Brother Quasi's got a program on Thursdays from 6 to 8 Warriors Way and continuing the fight. Brother Quasi, who is in the um, legal, in the justice, in the uh, area of, of um, dealing with some of the folks that haven't been behaving properly and <laughs> Well, what are your thoughts about that? What do you want to put in on this discussion?
2: Well, hold up, family, and thank you uh, to uh, both of our guests. Uh, yes, I tell you, I've, uh, through my time in law enforcement, and I'm still out in the community trying to work with these young kids, I have several people that I'm mentoring now, and I still go into the different schools. But in my readings, and I'm going to go back into our, the late- Dr. Bobby Wright and I'm reading the the psychopathic uh, racial personality, and when he said, and what we must uh, be about the business of liberating the minds of black children, in order uh, to uh, for that to occur, the the minds of all black who interact with them must also be liberated. And I think uh, with that being said, I mean, we don't have like-minded people uh, addressing the issues that need to be addressed. We have a few people on, you know, with the same message and then some other people with different messages. And so we have that state of confusion that's going on. And so we got so many mixed messages because so many of us aren't liberated you know, with our thinking and, and so just dealing with that. And I um, was actually, I was, I had a firefighter a friend of mine that I was talking to and we were talking about the car driving and the incidents and so forth. And right now I still do a lot of different security work. And so I get called to go to these areas where a lot of the crime, like when you had this shooting down at the Bugs arena in that area where 17 people got shot and then when the, at the dollar stores when they were being hit, and most of the time this is by young kids, and you know, and we're talking from 13 to 14 years old, and these are people that are being the shooters. And I happen to talk with some of these kids that were the shooters, and you know, and and they do. Uh, some of them are being mentored by older people in their 20s and 30s, but these people, uh, you know, have. Are, are just criminal in mind, you know. And so we just have to intervene and get in there and uh, be about uh, helping our people. But right now, it's just so much fear to even approach some of these kids, you know, because, you know, they're so reckless and so forth. But uh, I've found it uh, some success in just going into the schools. I know I heard you talking about uh, uh um, you know, taking the toy guns and all these different things and so forth. But one of the things that, you know, you find out with our young men is so many people are trying to redefine what masculinity is all about. And I think uh, that confusing aspect of it, and people are kind of rebelling about that in so many different ways. And we really need to have strong black men because I can tell you when I grew up, I grew up in the era and, and there were guns out there, and a lot of times uh when somebody was getting ready to fight, they'd tell you to hold my gun, you know, and so it wasn't so this gun stuff is not new, but it's just that we really push it different and just to just to add to that point in different countries, they deal with it in different ways. I'm just gonna say something about Australia. The last time they had a mass shooting was in nineteen ninety six and 35, a gunman had killed uh, 35 people. And so what they did was they did this buyback program. They got 350,000 guns off the streets. They also uh, eliminated having these uh, assault weapons and so for, that usually is designed to kill people uh, the, for the military and for the police. They weren't selling it to civilians and so forth. And especially these assault rifles and stuff. So this is what they did. So they haven't had an incident in umpteen years, in over 20 years. And the same thing for uh, Britain, uh, uh, the same thing for Canada, just a lot of these places. But here in the United States, I mean, we tell people, you know, your Second Amendment right is so important, and, they, and, they, and they, it promotes having a gun. And we have more guns in the United States than we have people. So we really have to Uh, Look at how they're promoting uh, this gun you talked about, uh, you know, these games on TV uh, uh, where they promote solving things with violence and so forth and and, and all these different video games. So there's there's just a lot of different things that we're dealing with, but we really have to have some strong-minded people, uh, young black men and women, uh, go out there and be on the ground, boots on the ground and talk to these young men and women.
9: Yeah.
8: I agree. Yeah, I agree. Very much so. Uh, I would like to add to your your, your dialogue, I think, Dr yourself and Doctor Rashid that uh, uh I never allowed guns in my house. Uh I was I've been married forty nine years this uh, but I never pissed uh, water guns. Nothing. In fact, I was considered the meanest person between my kids and my nephews and people. You couldn't come to my house. You don't. You don't bring that here. The, the toys, all that. And Then I, when I mentored and when I worked in schools, I didn't allow them. And in fact, I at an airport with a trip with some kids. I took all their plastic guns, uh, water guns away and stomped them and put them in the garbage. And they thought I was crazy. Because I could see certain kinds of characteristics coming to the forefront that I didn't like, and so I know that puts sometimes puts me in danger. But I don't have one in my house to this day. Uh, uh, be, my son had uh, kept concealed carry because of his job, where he worked. But I, just, I made a decision; they weren't that wasn't going to be part of my life, and I don't and we ain't playing them kind of games in my house. And we and uh, my great-grandchildren, I'm hoping to influence them as my other grandchildren. There's certain things that I don't allow to be part of the psyche.
7: Well, well you know, you're echoing every last one of my thoughts, and, I'm, and, and, and it goes back to the home. My kids are now over 30. There was never a toy gun of any sort in my house. And they were 17 and 18 before I allowed, in their senior years, before I allowed them to even play video games in my house. And, you know, so you started at home. And so when I talk about stuff, it's always good to be able to talk about stuff and then provide advice when you've tried it in your own home. You know, yeah, and I they—you just you reminded me, and, and then and what that did was, and I tell folks this: Well, Doctor, what would you? I said, Well, you know, they all now successful college graduates, part PhD, and in movies, you know, and and got have guns now because society is saying protect yourself with one, and mm-hmm. when it got them a permit, but they were over thirty before they finally they they that happened to them, and mm-hmm. so that's why I said, you know. We, we've got to start at, at, at that house. Nothing, even not even pointing a finger like a gun was, in, yes. a, uh, was accepted or acceptable in my household. And so yes. the household is where it has to start. And right. even though you end up looking like the bad guy in the long run, people wanted to give my kids guns for, for, for Christmas and for their birthday. And I said, no, no, you got to take that back. Yes
8: yeah i think I think I had actually my my my, my oldest son when he was in the teens, we lived out in the country and he got his first BB gun but then it was all control for me in fact, they're still sitting a sitting in a in a closet somewhere because you know he's fifty yeah now, but I just i said you will use this and go out in the, when you're out in the woods and stuff, but then you won't be taken it'll be under my supervision, and that was about the closest I got. Because I I just was never comfortable, and I had seen too much around me as a as a teenager and stuff to say that that was something I wanted with my family and with my household. So I I agree, and I think your your point though that nonviolent point of of going throughout the community, I say we set close down the hookah joints, and I say that we we say I, I like that on the guns and all those things that are in all of these little on the corner in the dollar store, yeah. You know, we have to, we can, we can affect some change that the po- they'll call the police, but that's fine. Yeah. But I ain't did
0: yeah. nothing. That's right. Can yeah, kind I of
2: add a little bit on to what you were saying? Yes, sir. Uh, brother Quasi. And uh, I, I, I really get what, you, what you're saying. And when they were on the job, my brother was one, he carried a job. It was mandatory that, you know, carry a gun when you were on the job, but, uh, he doesn't own a gun now. Uh, and it's not so much uh, the gun, it's about the mentality of the person that has a yes. gun. Yes. And and so I don't want to just kind of put it on the weapon because it's just certain things that I'm not going to do. I'm not going to get mad or get drunk and rape somebody or kill somebody or do that. That's not my mindset. That's not what I do. That's not how I think. And, uh, and I've had... Uh, toy guns and all these different things as a kid coming up and so forth. I said, one of the things that I I do is I teach the martial arts and I teach people because one of the things that they don't put out there, they don't put the reality and the truth out about, you know, what we deal with, you know, more than 70% of people with guns get them taken away on the streets, more than 70%, it's close to 80%, but the gun people don't talk about that. You know, and so a lot of things they don't put out there. But then the other thing, you know, back in the day when, you know, we promoted self-defense, it was like learning karate or different martial arts. Karate was the empty hands, you know. Uh, You could deal with people and stuff, and you didn't have to uh, 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 kill somebody, this, that, or whatever. But the point is when you had these classes you engaged with other people you had physical contacts and so forth and and that was something that was how you built bonds with people you know you you had a connection so you didn't look at people that this was your brother this was your 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 companion and so forth somebody that you worked with and so forth but we have such a disconnect and that's what happens when you use these weapons and when they promote these weapons like that And then they justify it so much. We have to understand that a lot of this stuff is racially motivated, you know, because the self-defense for us and the self-defense for uh, 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 white people or police, it's different, yes, you know. So uh, but we do have the right to defend ourselves. And so we have to articulate and give people those other resources. One of the things that I talked about, I talked about like uh, they have these pepper ball guns because most people, they want to be able to defend themselves, but they don't want to kill people. But they have these pepper ball guns, and they make it really hard for you to get those things, and you're very accurate up to 25 yards. You're, you're probably not going to kill anybody, but you will incapacitate somebody for at least 30 to 45 minutes. You can—you don't even necessarily have to hit them. You can hit something close to them, and it's going to attack their mucous membranes. It's going to shut the eyes, retard their breathing. And uh, uh, so there are a number of different things out there in those options. But like I said, uh, the promotion is to promote you know uh, the guns, and it's about gun sales. And in these other countries, they've had issues. But they have long since uh, uh, had that taken care of. And as a matter of fact, we had the same thing. I think Reagan doing that Brady Bill or whatever. I think they had a, we had a ten-year gun ban on assault weapons. Yeah, and that was our lowest time in regards to mass casualties and stuff like that. So we know that it works when you ban these things and do this. So we know the answer. But you know, uh, legislators and these other. People are in power and stuff are in debt with these gun manufacturers. So that's what he did.
7: Really? I, I also
8: like to add that, you know, us three, you talk about mentoring and talking to kids. One of the things that when I had a conversation, when I talked to young people, I always tell them that, okay, I'm 69. I grew up in another era. But I said to them, guess what? We talked about each other. We did the dozens. Mm-hmm. Everything you say yeah. you're doing now, I said the difference was it may take a week for that to make it to somebody. And then by that time, it may not be a fight. Somebody might just say, forget it. I said, you're getting information instantaneously in seconds, and you are not taking the time to process whether it's right, whether it's wrong, mm-hmm. who did it come from. So your reactions are human, but you're just reacting. And so in the end, you go like, oh, you mean it wasn't him? Or man, I, I didn't I, I thought that was the truth. You mean you didn't say that? I said, but we had the time to think those things through. Still may be a fight, but you had to think mm-hmm. it through. Because, but now with the texting and the instant information and the social media, mm-hmm. people are getting information. We had kids in the school or in my after-school program where kids were fighting because someone was on Facebook. Or they had somebody right. send something, and you say, well, is it true? Well, I don't know if it's true. But such and such said He said it. I'm saying you've got to think because it's something that's been transmitted to your brain and you haven't
11: processed it. We have two callers that would like to participate in this conversation. Um, Caller um, of 2410 Correction, 241907 Um, Welcome and share with us.
12: Greetings. This is Lotus from Dallas, Texas and I'm just a fan of um the black reality think tank and your show and all that you all are doing so i just like to come on and support it's just a wealth of knowledge uh people's perspectives on um how to assist our community in changing the vibration so i'm really um grateful for you all for just giving your time I, i work in the community down here in dallas i'm from milwaukee and um i'm just heartbroken to hear some of the things that's going on in the city that I came from. So I'm really um, intrigued to see what steps are being taken to actually implement the change. So thank you so much. Thank you for
11: the call and for the encouragement. We have a second caller. um, Number. We have a second caller, and that is 602-403.
3: Yes, uh, good evening. Good evening to all the panelists. Yeah. Um, I'm calling from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I do agree with the gentleman that um, we have to address the mentality because the gun don't actually kill, you know, it's the person behind the gun. Um, in England, they don't have a lot of guns. They'll stab you, <laughs> okay? They'll use, the black youth will use a knife and stab you. That's what they're doing in England. They don't have, the black youth don't have the gun. They just walk up to you and stab you with a knife to death. So we have to address the mentality. It's that black self-hatred. Freedom that black, lack of self-worth, that lack of self-worth in that black youth. When that black youth look in the mirror, they don't like what they see. If you don't like what you see in the mirror as a black person, you're not gonna like your brother or your sister because they are a reflection of you. So it goes back to what the brother said, that mentality. We have to attack that mentality, that Black self-hatred. That is what is driving the the, the violence in our community. It's it's, it's not the gun. It's the mindset. And how do we correct that mindset? Because we have the information to correct it. We have the Dr. Amos Wilson. We have the Dr. Clarks. We have the Dr. Benz. I think we should. I think the churches should get more intricately involved in in it and open the doors to make these churches as learning centers bringing in the youth and reorientate their thinking but that is a problem too because some of the churches are a part of the problem too you see because they are the ones who is just telling you you know you, you you need to turn the other cheek and be passive you know how can you do that in a society that is not turning the other cheek you know they're dealing with us with violence they are de- they are being vi- violent against us so i don't know how we are going to use non-violence to deal with violent people because these people, these, these European people, they love violence. You see, they they, 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 they they you know, they they glorify violence. And our children live in a society that glorifies violence. So I don't really know how we're gonna solve this problem. I really don't know, you know, I said, you know, 400 years is long enough to know, you know, if there was any human relationship to be worked out in this society with these people, I think we could have done it in 400 years. But we see what's happening now. This society is imploding, you see? So we better do something quick, fast and in a hurry because it's getting ready to collapse. So you know uh, we got to regroup real fast. Uh, anyway, keep on keeping on. I appreciate what I'm hearing. Thank you. I uh, say, King. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you. Sis, I, sis, I, I, I
12: would like to. Good. This is since This is Lotus from um, Dallas. I do have one question for you, though. Oh, I'm am? I'm wondering if um, Milwaukee does implement any type of program where um they have a forum where they're listening to the youth they're listening to the young people because i think a lot of what's happening is there's so much anger because of so much suppression and it's like the water that's boiling you know and and eventually the pop is on top i mean the the top is going to pop you know because it's so much pressure so much unaddressed trauma that we deal with in our communities and it, it, it blows. So I'm wondering if there are any safe outlets for um, people who are under 40 um, to really, yeah. really express and, and so we can hear. Because Sister, quite often they're angry because they feel like they're not being heard.
7: Yeah, Sister from y'all. Dallas. I'd like to answer that question. And by the way, this is Dr. Jamal Rashid, and I am in Dallas. I'm from Chicago. Okay, well, I might have to try to connect. Yes, I have a a Black History Museum in Waxahachie. It's called the Ellis County African-American Hall of Fame. And so, uh, and I have a book that I wrote three years ago while you're talking about listening to our youth. And the name of my book was called, Can We Say Something? The Unspoken Words of Our Youth. And it's 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 on Amazon. And just like you say, we don't listen to them. And this book has about uh, a little over 150 essays of what sixth and seventh graders had to say that we never hear. And my the reason I wrote that book is because as educators and as parents, sometimes we don't know what ails them, but we try to give them a cure without listening. Okay. And so okay. that book had a lot, it, it was like, and some teachers, some other teachers read it and they was like, Look at what this kid said. Look at what this kid said. Yeah, because we don't listen to them. We try to give exactly. them solutions that are, are not based upon hearing what they have to say. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor trying to give you a cure, but you haven't said anything.
8: Yeah, yeah. I I, exactly. I would admit that. I would admit that I, uh, in Milwaukee, all my years, that I in the beginning in the 90s or when I eighties nineties when I started mentoring and taking on I was kind of i lectured i I was motivational and then as my grandchildren grow up, I had to learn to listen. they taught me that because I would be in the car together and they wanted to and I told them i it was hard for me to figure out how to do that because when I grew up in Milwaukee between my mom and all the adults around me you you couldn't say nothing. You weren't allowed to say nothing. You get doing, get slapped in the back of the car if you think you're speaking out. So it, I had to – it was something I learned on how to listen to them. And when I mentored, I adopted a class of, of young people for over 15 years. Every year adopted a class and ran them through the whole school year uh, in terms of that. And I had to learn that thing. So as a, based on being 69 – It was a whole revelation to me to listen, even as my own grandchildren taught me that. So I I agree. I I had to learn it.
5: I'm glad we brought this point up because this is a question as well that I have raised, uh, particularly among those that have committed a crime who have been arrested. We are not hearing from those individuals or is someone really asking and is it being discussed, what was the reason, what motivated you to go out and do this terrible thing? And we don't hear from them.
8: No, I think because the system isolates them and isolates us from them, unless you have a specialized program like the policeman could probably you. Um, he could tell you about, there are programs, there are groups who go in to the correctional centers, there's people who going into the schools. I think another brother has a, the elders going into the schools. So I know there are all kinds of people. urban underground people go in and deal and talk and 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 collect young collectively work with young people. So they're out there. Sometimes I think it's so massive. Sometimes we need more and more people. But there are, I think, on the front line, there are lots of people who do just what you
7: ask. And and I, I want to add I want to add to that because uh, you know like I said that, that that now we're getting into that that other part of what I used to do uh, worked four years at the Texas Department of Corrections I E that's the prison uh, then came and worked ten years as an adult probation officer in Dallas County and then five years as a juvenile probation officer and was actually the first director of the Dallas County Juvenile School all of those levels have assessments to give you, whether somebody tells you or not, to give you the information that you're actually wondering about. Because Mm -hmm. at all of those levels, the probation officers and the juvenile officers all do written assessments to ask (laughs) why, because we have to turn around and come up with a plan, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, a plan that says in in 60, 90, 180 days, those behaviors have been worked on, and you're not there anymore unless we evaluate you.
9: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
7: I think, I think a lot of what is going
12: on is we have to retire because he who controls the media controls the mind. And we've allowed, for the sake of money, our entertainers have sold the community out.
7: Yes, they I
12: think it's time for us to hold them accountable. However, however, the community also supports that because we buy it. We buy it. We we pay into it. But we have but we have artists. We have artists who have uh, messages and saturated in their songs that these these kids need to hear. They're blackballed, like literally blackballed on the internet. But I think we need to hold those people who we as a community made wealthy we need to find out who knows who and start pulling some coattails and say hey we need to sit down and have a we need to have a family meeting with some of our entertainers because to me those are the ones who can turn the turn the wheel because because it's, it's just a lot of it's just years and years and years and years and years of unaddressed trauma we got toxic masculinity that's a big Topic. We have the angry black woman, that's a big topic. And then we have the children who are out of control. But all three of those um, archetypes are dealing with things that they're made to suppress because nobody is addressing what caused it to begin with. And so I think it's, the reset has to come from like really pulling the coattail of people who have the attention of the public. It's time to sit them down. And say you're part of genocide to your own people. So that's that's my opinion.
7: Your song that you had earlier, for the love of money, that's mm-hmm. where it that's is. It. And, and, and bottom line to it is, is there more? There's more love for the money than for the people.
5: During for our people. time,
7: we grew up listening that Curtis Mayfield and James Brown saying, "We black and we proud." Da 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 da. They made that's money too, but they made money telling us what we needed to do to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. The next generation is just saying, I don't care what I got to say, the record company gonna sign me a record deal, I'm gonna make my money and I could care less what's going on with my people. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, it goes back to that love of money. But our people back then had a different love for money. And some of them, they went out and created their own record labels to make sure they got the message across. Right, but 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 see,
11: All valid points. If you could hold your thoughts for a second, um, we're going to have Sister Auntie um, speak on um, our sponsors again and sharing our sponsors' message.
6: Yes, our sponsor at edocadvice. That's www.edocadvice.com. They provide specific medical answers to those seeking a better understanding about medical conditions and health. Their experienced and resourceful team can research your concerns and will answer the questions you have about your health, medical conditions, and other challenges. They know how to get things done to keep you safe and feeling good. So go to www.edocadvice.com. Edoc advice today and ask a question.
11: And how about if someone would like to become a sponsor, Sister Certa?
6: If you'd like to become a sponsor, you are welcome. Do you have a service you want to off- You want others to know about? Have you written a book we need to read? Consider becoming a sponsor. Send us an email at MKE at gmail.com. Support the program that's working for you by bringing you information you will not hear elsewhere that you need to know. Contributions to support our broadcasting efforts can be made to PayPal pay- pay- pay at Sankofa underscore think at Outlook. um, let's work again
11: thank you so much for our message do we by chance have any callers Dr. Janine? no okay wonderful Um, so to me that says that um, we have a lot of listeners and uh, a lot of those that are agreeing with the discussion Um, our sister um, caller um, posed the question and her thought Um, so if you would um, continue, please do so. I have a question. Okay, so Arthur, go ahead.
6: Yes, um, we've had um, we've had gangs in almost every generation. Every generation has had youth gangs, um, and what what um, what were the things that overcame those? You know, we, if we, I heard that we need to listen to the youth, but at the same time, even in these times, the youth are not the only ones that are creating this crime and driving reckless. Amen. What about yep. the adults? um that are also committing crimes and driving dangerously the adults that have been involved in gang activity or contribute to it what you know how should we um look at those facts we can look at um the music industry we're pointing 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 but you know what is a solution that can help us come together and begin to Fix this, fix it even in, in our community.
8: Well, I always say freedom's not free, but you're free to be a fool. And so, if, it's how, how do how do you control? And I you know I grew up at a time when in segregation, of course, there was a collectivity, collectivity for our community, collective. I mean, even the gangs and people running around. As Miss, if Miss Wilson came walking down the street, somebody's mama or grandmama, I remember some people who I thought were stone gangsters, they stopped and said, hey, Miss Wilson, how you doing? How your boy doing? How everybody in your house doing? They stopped because there was this whole part of the culture was the respect of the elder, and there was a the respect that was given. Uh, somehow over time, as, as we became more individuals, and individualism of the greater society was thrust down, and saying, "No, you—you you don't have to be with them. You could be this by yourself." I just think that there were certain, there were certain forces that that made it help make a change in how people saw themselves. I still see myself in the collective. I still understand, but I am an individual in how I was raised. But I'm a collective when it comes to my community. And so, if you're not thinking that way, then you don't care. And I think that's the difference. Even in the gangs, even in the in the days of the gangs that I was around, there was even cold. If you did a certain kind of thing and you went if somebody went and snatched a purse or they did something to a child or something like that, there was out in the uh, criminal set, there was something to pay for that. There was some things that they said were unacceptable. Well, as drugs came in, other things came in, all of that left and they became well it's, it's up to you my brother it's it's you on your own and so i think that we've seen just a change in how society and how people see themselves over time and and, and so that's how that's my uh, 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 uh comment on that that's awesome
6: and so i think what i'm hearing is that We've moved, our community has moved from collective um, movement to independent movement. Yeah. And yeah. I liken that unto uh, the concept of you have a herd of elephants. When the lion comes, he runs into the middle of the herd to separate it, and the weakest ones fall out. Which I think is our children are falling out, and they're singling them out, and they're being murdered.
8: Yes, and I think if you look at if you look at even in in America, whether it be after us, even the Native was us and the Native Americans, you look at Africa when the missionaries, when people took them, first thing they did was cut your hair, change your language, uh, you must dress a certain way. And this is the these are the tenets of life we want you to follow. Even if you know inside there was an ancestral uh drawing uh, some, something something ancestral was drawing you to a certain way of life. I think and we captured that in the 70s, but for so long, people were trying to change us to be like them. And and, and if you've noted recently there was some professor in Pennsylvania who said something about black men, black women we 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 don't want to adapt to the to the Western way because we don't like it. And I said to myself, what well, she's basically saying is, we can't change y'all to be like us or something must be
7: wrong with you. Good point. Um, change us to be like
6: them. Why do we want to be like them?
8: Well, that's, that was always the way, it, you know, in terms of when you were, you know, when I went through college, there was all of these things that said you need to you need to act a certain way, be a certain way. And as you, remember, I mean, I went to college in the in the '70s. There was we were such rebellion. There was such a rebellion of us. There was the war. There was uh, uh, black uh, black theology, black uh, awareness. There was all these things started to come, and then we saw the Panthers. We saw the rise of many different movements for me and us in the '70s. It changed the way we saw the world, and we were getting punished for it in many ways. In some cases, our parents punished us because they didn't know what was going on. They said, what, are you, what you doing? What? You, why are you doing that? My mom would not let me wear a mattress until I was over 18. She said, no, you ain't going to wear that in my house. You know, so I said, what do you mean I can't wear no mattress? She said, when you get 18, you can do anything you want to. But
9: as long as you're in this house, is
8: this the way you're going to dress? And when I came back my first year of college with my natural, my tiki around my neck and my fist wave, she was like, going, boy, you're going to get killed out here. Mm. And so, but, but, but it was my, I got enlightened over time. And I came to, through the music and all of those things. So I think we it's an experience that I, I watch my kids, they become enlightened over time as they want to raise their family. So, but, I, but I've never given up on that I am who I am. And people tried to be, they wanted me to drink on one of my first jobs. They wondered why I didn't drink. Well, mm. you knew my college experience, even though why I, never, I won't drink again, or why I won't do X and why I won't do Y. Because I learned some lessons, and I watched older uh, elders get taken out by those same vices, and I decided that those weren't going to be my vices. You're gonna take me out. You just just do it because you weren't gonna get me on something I knew better than to do. But it was just the evolvement, the evolving over time to to be me and to become me and not something somebody else wanted.
11: And in 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 so many words, I hear a lot of the intergenerational disconnect that we all have. Um, in some ways, um, Brother Dumas, when you brought up about Um, you wanting to wear a fro, yet your mom says, what goes on in my home is the way you're going to live. And no, you can't wear that fro. And then when you come back, based on things that you've learned and her perspective of you wearing that fro and your dashiki is kind of like a target now for you. And I hear a lot of that happening with our generation, me as an adult and a grandparent. As we were talking about how to communicate with our children, versus we were taught, "Do as I say, not as I do," and mm-hmm. now these children are challenging us and saying, "What I see you do,
12: I question it."
8: Yeah, and what well, even now, with mine come through, then you need to leave because you know I still I still have some rules about my house and what I do. But I remember get, not getting jobs because I had a beard. And I remember shaving just to get a job, having all them bumps all over my face and everything, just saying I'm going to shave because I want to adapt to this. And then finally, I just, I finally, it, I finally, think it was in my late, early 20s or something, I decided I ain't never shaving no more for no job. You don't want me? Then you fine. Because I knew that not only that I have a facial condition, but I just, I like my beard. And so, you you know, how do we personally evolve and how does that help us in trying to help with the folks around us and how we can show them how we share with them how their identity must be, come from the inside out and not from the outside in and that you have to find your way and find who
7: you are.
11: Brother Rashid, are you still with us?
7: I sure am, and I'm just enjoying this conversation. <laughs> okay. You might hear heard a couple here and there. And it, it, it's like <clears throat> what we're talking about right now, and I, I take it back, out. I always said, you know, since, since 1619, the whole thing is to be, is to assimilate. We want yes. you to be like us. Uh-huh. If you're not like us, do like we say, do, look like this, look like that. Then you will not have the reward of a good job, and all of these things that come with looking like, acting like, and being like us, assimilate. And so mm-hmm. we strive. We we spend so much time, you know, going back to the you know, back in the day. You say, "Why are you straightening your hair? You supposed to have an afro." Well, because Miss Clairol on TV was trying to say assimilate, and we figured like if we would like Miss Clairol, you know, we be we be cool. Everything that we do. Uh, now is an assimilation that was passed upon us since we got here in 1619. Now the key is to create a conscious movement, where all the, where everybody knows who, or as, as much as we can, teach our young people who you are. Yes, yeah. teach them who they are i have where you come from and where you come from i have a black history class called the north star university through my black history museum in waxahachie and i just graduated 40 kids that were in the fifth and sixth grade and that and that program took them it's the first three or four weeks was talking about africa we didn't come to the united states you know and then and then after that slowly taking them to 1619 not hanging around, spending a lot of time in slavery on the subject. We're talking about the great things we did. And it inspired them And to know who they really were. Everybody knows we were slaves, but we did some other things besides being slaves. And yeah, so that's the no power part. with the, the knowledge of mm-hmm. greatness and, and, and let that. Help them to take over who you are and know you don't have to act like them, be like them, because we're assimilating some nasty, devilish characteristics trying to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Some things that were not ever usually, were not in our households back with grandma and great grandma now. And as we continue mm. to assimilate, look at what our kids and some of our adults have turned into trying to be like Mike.
8: Yeah, and you know, when you talk about the teaching part, because I'm aging in architecture, it wasn't until I was, I think, in the latter part, sophomore, junior, somewhere in college, when I started to understand the the, the contributions of African people to architecture, engineering,
9: science,
8: and all those things, because you come through and they don't tell you none of that, and then you know, and now you got some white supremacists running around talking about we built the pyramids. They didn't have to tell us I mean, and you go like, what did he just say? You know, you can't reach through the TV and grab his butt and say, but just a, just a changed history. And that's what this CRT, we want to change the way the world sees you by telling you what your history is and what we yeah. do." it should be and so i just kind of i just rebel against it and so and, and you know i had a job once where I, okay they say you make over a hundred thousand dollars and why why are you so interested in the community you come from i am <laughs> what do you mean i'm not I'm supposed to move and i'm supposed <laughs> to change the everything it is about myself because you said, I'm in the higher echelon of people that make money, so I'm supposed to give up this. You know, I remember I won't warm grand boobah to some kind of event. Boy, you think I had just <laughs> robbed a bank. Who is that? Everybody's staying. I, I understood my African component of my life, and I wanted to pay tribute to it. And so people would, 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 would decide for you, you you two. I remember I heard that I wasn't getting jobs because I wore my uncle all the time. <laughs> so they're, they're on his shoulder, I said, "I don't." But you don't even know what this represents. So you already decided that I'm I'm not I'm not being what you think I should be. Well, then I won't get no job because I I have this is I'm going to represent myself and who I am. I have a beard. I wear my arm. I have African clothing. I can, you know, I've gotten jobs because they saw Dumas on there. And then when I showed up, they were like going. You Dumas, it? because because of the way I spoke, they thought this can't be him, because they had in their minds a certain way that this Dumas guy was going to show up and look. And then because I'm light-skinned, that automatically they thought, well, I must be where he comes from. But yet when I spoke and when I talked about the things that are important to me, there was kind of a gasp, like, who is this? You know. But I am who I am. I am who my ancestors have have taught me to be. And that's something as I try to teach the young people and teach my own children, that's that's what's important. That's what's that's important a, to me. That's and our a
7: people, great way. I, that's and, a, I, and, I, and our people are scared, are afraid that if they don't assimilate, what's gonna happen? And they will look at us and say, why are you acting like you act? You're supposed to act this way. The 10 years or the 15 years that I was with Dallas County as an adult probation officer, I'm the only person who walked off in the courtroom with a kufi on my head. And thank it, and, and, you, gentlemen. And all, and all, all, all folks were, they were like, what, don't you, and the police officer wanted to stop me, would take that off, no, I'm not taking this off my head. And well, the judge I, we just th- let
9: th- me roll in there.
7: <laughs> we thank you for sharing, for sharing
11: um, your um, wisdom, your experience, your knowledge, um, and your self-identity and pride for um, your blackness and being a black man in our community. Um, We are um, coming to a close. Um, Dr. James, would you close us out, please?
5: Well, we thank you for joining us today. And I thank also Dr. William Rogers and the production staff, the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee and its support for this program and for sharing their vision for unity following Afrocentric principles, and helping us to learn and use those principles in our lives. We look forward to bringing to you more programs that we hope you will enjoy. Visit our sponsor, www.edocadvice.com, and the Finley Medical Clinic. Good night, stay safe, the Sankofa family, and all of you. Until next time. Your host, of the and
9: the
10: I'm sure all would agree that his misery was this woman and things. Now, Fred is dead That's
9: what I say.